Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. This is our attempt to speak the gospel out of every corner of Scripture. We believe every part of the Bible, Old Testament and New, is about Jesus. And this podcast is our experiment to publicly test that belief. Let's jump in. Okay, well, welcome everybody to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. We're really excited that you've joined us today because because we get to talk I, about my like favorite text in the whole yes. Bible and what for you. So. Well, no, I was just trying to like interject awkward things in the middle of your mind. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you, <laughs> my, your it, my little introduction. And I was like trying to think of something funny to say. Uh, what did you come up with? Nothing. Nothing. This was this the is the first. This is the first. I I'm still kind of reeling from Andrew Wilson and how great. Oh my goodness, his yeah. mind is. I know. The uh the like the antitype of the Eucharist and the ground up dust yeah gold, yeah what? yeah that that my I'm still trying to figure we, that one out we did like mind explosions in the air yeah no one could hands. see us no just one. like like freaking out <laughs> in the studio as he's talking it's one problem with podcasts so if you haven't listened to that one you should go back and listen that. to Andrew Wilson talking about the golden calf it was amazing so the golden calf just happened and this is the aftermath and this is the aftermath what like let's ask this question like okay God chose Israel, right? He like chose Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob, and Joseph, and all these people, and they went into Egypt, and he promised that that would happen, and he brought them out through great acts of deliverance, brought them through the Red Sea, through the wilderness, to Mount Sinai, showed up, gave them the law, and then they broke it while Moses is still on the mountain. Yeah. What does this God do when people mess up so royally? This is, here's what, this, this is what we're going to find out. This is, that's exactly what happened. This is kind of like the consequences. Yeah. Like these two passages are the consequences of failing to be God's covenant partners, God, like God's like a successful covenant partners. Right. And what's fascinating in the, in the book of Exodus as well, like this parallels almost exactly what happens before Exodus 20 or sorry, in Exodus 23 and 24, we have the same types of laws being given. The same angel of the Lord shows up. The, oh, same, yeah. the tabernacle instructions happen in the same place. Like this is a parallel. We've already seen this pattern of scripture happening right after the covenant was given before the golden calf. And now we're seeing the same thing happen again, but it's different. So what does it, what does that mean for us then? Is that like, oh, it, it's cyclical and it's like, what it means is that what you what? should see, if you go back and read Exodus 23 and 24, you'll notice these great promises of God living with his people, being with his people, the angel of the Lord being on the side of God's people in mm-hmm. promising these great things. Israel sins and the angel of the Lord shows up again. The tabernacle, the tent of meeting is mentioned again. And Moses prays for God's glory. And you'll notice that God is further away from his people than mm. he was beforehand. And there's there's this phrase that we haven't talked about yet, but God visits the iniquity of the right. of the, sin, the people of the third and fourth generation. Right. I will visit the iniquities. Yeah. Visit the iniquities. But I will. But whatever. We'll read it. In a second. We'll read it. And then uh, and then right after that it says, but I will st- show steadfast love to thousands. Mm-hmm. And what you notice in this passage is it's, it's reversed, reversed and puts the grace and the mercy before because mm-hmm. people have just sinned. Right. So I think what we're seeing here is the consequences of sin is separation from God, and um, but also a highlighting of God's mercy as well. Yeah. So, yeah. I think okay. that's what's happening, like, right. thousand-foot level. Okay. That's what's happening right and now. And so when we zoom in, you, you talk about God, like, 
being more distant. Yes. And that's kind of the first thing we see, that's right? Exactly and so right. Um, Moses and God are talking in the aftermath, and um, God says, all right, it's time to leave Sinai. You can see it even before there. You can see it even you before can. there. Yeah, if you go to verse 3 of chapter 33, go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you. If you notice, like, it's right there, like... Oh, was you going to point there? <laughs> That's exactly where I, I was were, reading. I thought you were jumping up to Moses <laughs> nope. talking to God in the tent. No, no, no. Oh, uh, yeah, so I was sorry. just right at the, yeah, so I was like, yeah, I was saying like, it's time to leave Sinai. It's time to get out of here. And um, you're going to, you're going to go into this land that I promised to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And I'm going to drive out the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites. And, um, and you're going to go into this land flowing with milk and honey. And then he says, like you've just pointed out, but I will not go up among you. And the reason is, or I'm going to consume you on the way. You're going to die if I come up among you. And like, we haven't run into this like ever. Like, this is a this is a new idea here, uh, really, since like the Garden of Eden. Like, they had to be yeah. they had to leave the presence of God, or else they would have died. And so this is a this is a really intense kind of separation because up to now there's been this really intimate relationship between Yahweh and the people of Israel, especially Moses, and um, he's been guiding them through the wilderness and all this stuff. And now he's like, I'm not going to go up among you. Yeah, beforehand, God's the angel of the Lord being with them in conquest was a sign that God was with them, mm-hmm. but now it's a reminder that God is not with them. Right, and and the other thing we we need to realize is that when he says I'm not going to go up among you is that what he's talking about here is um, you, 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 we, we've just talked about the tabernacle and everything, and he's like, I'm not going to go in that place. I'm not going to live there. Yep. And um, how, how disappointing would that be? So disappointing. <laughs> yeah. And like we, we, we learn that when the people hear this, they take off their ornaments. And, I, was, I was super confused by that. Yeah, what ornaments well, are they talking I, I about? I think what they're talking about here is if, if you read it just like straight through, it probably sounds like either one of two things are happening here. One, which is the one I... I think is happening is that people were getting ready for the dedication in the building of the tabernacle. And so like maybe even the people is he's talking about the priests wearing all their priestly garments and everything. And um, they were like, and God's like, take those off because right. it, it's not going to matter anymore because I'm right, not going right, to come right. in the tabernacle. So just take it off. So all the ornaments are the priestly the things. The priestly things. The that, ephod that, and everything right. that they mm-hmm. just built. Just, okay. Yeah, just take, the, take that off. Uh, the other um, option is that they had put on a bunch of like ornaments for cultic worship after worshiping the golden calf, that there are oh. other things that they made with gold along with the golden calf. That would make sense that they stole it all from the Egyptians. That's right. And yep. so they like were worshiping the Egyptian, an Egyptian cow god, wearing all the Egyptian <laughs> jewelry that right. went along with it. Yep. And so they never. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So it's like either way, they they're being shamed and humiliated, and so the people strip off all their ornaments and they mourn because God's not going to come and fill the tabernacle. He's not going to be with them, which is really important for us to not just read over, um, because this shows us that even even Israel here, they know how important the presence of God is to being his people. And like, this seems like real thing. repentance, like too, like actually yeah. like the signs of like right. a change in the people of Israel right. in I'm response strip, to judgment. Strip everything off. I'm going to yeah. I'm going to mourn. It, it, we're given no no hint here in the text that this is false or duplicitous at all. Yeah. And then in the next passage is the it describes the tent of meeting. It's not the same thing as the tabernacle, tabernacle right? But it is a parallel to the tabernacle. Yes. The it's tabernacle, like a precursor. It is. Yeah. yeah. The, the tabernacle was supposed to be in the center of the camp. And then Israel would be around out on the outside of it, but this right. one is on the outside. outside of the camp, and everybody can only watch. Right. So as yeah, Moses, Moses would go in, in yeah. and he would like come into the to the opening, and whenever he would go into the opening, this tent of meeting, and God's cloud would descend on it. The people would like worship 
in the village, like in this like little encampment. They would watch and worship, which is pretty cool. And so now Moses, like the people are hearing that Moses is going to come to the tent and nothing's going to happen. And so instead of worshiping, the people mourn. And they're verse eleven. So thus, the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to a friend. Right. And the one thing we need to see here that a lot of uh, biblical scholars talk about here is face to face is a uh, colloquialism. Like um, it means like uh, like yeah. Well, I mean, it explains it here as as someone speaks to his friend. Like he like Moses would actually hear the voice of God and like you know like like he right. would talk to a person. This doesn't. This isn't going to. This isn't saying, like, what we're about to find out later is that Moses is about to hear that you cannot see my face because man cannot see my face and live. Um, and so this is not, uh, a lot of people say that this is not saying that Moses used to see God's face in all its glory, but now he can't. Right. This is uh, this is a way of talking about how people converse face-to-face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What we're going to see later when Moses is barred from seeing God's face has always been an effect that mankind can't right. see the full glory So what you're of God. saying is like, this isn't saying, Moses used to see God's face, and then on the mountain, God says, no, you can't. Right. It's like, Moses was able to talk, talk to, to God, God like a friend. Right. Like we say, like, yeah, we're like, we're close. Right. Like, that's, that's, yep. it's like a colloquialism. Right. It's just a saying. Yep. It's not an actual physical thing that right. he was able to see. So yeah, we don't want to, we don't want to confuse those two things. And so, so far, before we get into Moses' prayer for the people of Israel, yeah. What we're seeing is what the angel of the Lord in the tabernacle previously used to be signs that God's presence was coming closer. Mm-hmm. There are now signs that God's presence is like further from them. Right. What used to be a harbinger for presence is now like a reminder of absence. Right. Yeah. And so Moses's prayer is, don't, don't. leave us. <laughs> yeah. Don't. Please right. don't do what we see happening right, right now. Yeah, so Moses goes to this tent of meeting and he prays to God and he says, don't you dare <laughs> like send us out, out from here and not go with us because, uh, and, and he doesn't, what's interesting is he doesn't talk about the warfare, which I've always thought is really interesting. He doesn't go, if you don't go up, for us, uh, up with us, we're not going to win all these battles against the Canaanites and the Perizzites and everything. He's like, no one's going to know that we're your people and that we're distinct and like people aren't going to know that like, they're not going to know you Right. Which is really interesting. They won't know. You said that we have favor in your sight. Right. So, but no one's going to know that. No one's going to know yeah, it. Right. Exactly. And so um, it's really interesting. It, it, and this is kind of like um, Abraham's prayer for Sodom and Gomorrah back in Genesis, where he pleaded with God that uh, to, to spare Sodom and Gomorrah if there were 10 innocent people in it. Right. And he, and he says, like, far be it from you, God. Like, this would be to defame your character if you killed the innocent and the guilty together. Moses is saying here again, like, God, far be it from you to promise that you were going to bring this people into the land and then bail. Like, that you're a God who keeps his promises, right? And so one, one, one thing that we might want to address here, Seth, is does Moses or Abraham or, like, what are, the, what are up with these texts where, like, it seems like, people's prayers are trying to change God's mind or oh, like gosh. alter his will. It's <laughs> not expecting that question here. <laughs> My favorite, somebody asked, I think, uh, Wayne Grudem this question. Okay. And he was like, oh, I really, I really don't know. Oh no. <laughs> so wait, so if we try to venture a answer here, we're, we're, I mean, we're, we're I treading think, where Wayne Grudem wouldn't tread. Obvious thing to say is that like, even though God is in control of all things, he still desires and works through people's, prayers and actions Mm -hmm. in this life yep so god will not accomplish the salvation of his people or the revelation of his glory apart from the means that he said that he would do it right which is through prayer which is through prayer 
a couple things that are interesting here. One is um, we could we could also view view a lot of these texts as literary devices for it, Moses is an intercessor. Abraham was a priest, an intercessor, like a, a precursor to a priest. So these are like literary mouthpieces for God fighting on behalf of his people. And so, and not that these prayers didn't historically happen, but that like... And not that that question doesn't stand. Right. But in the text, this is like God saying, I'm fighting for you through right. Moses. Right. Let me show you like really how much this is, really how big of a deal this is for me to re- relent and to, to actually forgive. Uh, the other thing we need to see in both of these passages, in the one in Genesis and here in Exodus, is that what God promises still happens. He never changes his mind. So here in Exodus, uh, for instance, well, like quickly, Sodom and Gomorrah, he said, I'm going to destroy it. Abraham pleaded, he destroyed it right. because there weren't innocent people in there, right? Okay, so Lot was rescued sa- other than yeah, that. He yeah, saved the he saved that- the one, the yeah. one dude. Uh, and so anyway, um, but here he says, right, right at the beginning, he says, I will send the angel of the Lord ahead of you to drive out the, 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 the inhabitants of the land. Um, and then he says, and then, <laughs> then Moses is like, uh, God, please stay with us. And then he goes, I will, and it'll be with the angel of the Lord. Because the angel of the Lord is Yahweh. Yeah. <laughs> and so he never changes his mind. He, it, it's This is more like Moses like having to process what this means. Right. And so, um, uh, yeah, anyway, I think that's just, I didn't want to like people like trip up over this text. Like, so one, it might be a literary device. Two, God uses the means of prayer to accomplish his purposes. And three, God actually never changes his mind here in this text. So yeah. let's not freak out about it too and- much. God answers the prayer. And verse, God does answer the prayer. Verse 17. And he answers an extra prayer too, which is really cool. We'll get to the extra. Well, I, yeah. Bonus prayer. The bonus prayer. But verse 17, the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, mm-hmm. I will do for you have found favor in my sight and I know you by name. And then Moses said, please show me your glory. Right. That's the extra prayer. That's the extra prayer. The bo- bonus prayer. So, so Moses had been pleading on behalf of the people at that point and saying like don't don't leave us don't 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 um don't forsake us please take us into the land and then he, he gets that prayer answered and then he shifts his focus to something that seems a little bit more personal because the way god answers it um he he forbids anyone to even be around the mountain and so moses asks god show me your glory well he does that in that prayer too in verse uh, 15, and he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, mm-hmm. do not bring us up from here. Verse 15, and then verse 16, if I have found, if I have found favor in your sight, mm-hmm. I and your people. if like So I think, I mean, like, doesn't he kind of include himself? It's not like an extra. It's like he's praying for that same thing beforehand, yeah. oh, right? Oh, definitely. I, but I think, that, I think that this is like a God's guiding presence, taking them in, clearing the land. But this show me your glory prayer that he alone experiences, right? Is it seems to be different in kind? I guess so. I kind of, I kind of was kind of. It's like I don't see like God. Like Moses is asking God for his glory, the, his glory to continue to go with his people, mm-hmm. and for him to continue that same relationship he's had with him in the past, right? And he's asking for God to show him his glory, kind of in, like almost in a different context, like in in the middle of like sin. Like he's mm. like, show me, like, I know you're about to leave, but don't right. show me your glory. Please. Yeah. I know we've sinned. I know we've done wrong, but please don't leave. Like, it's like, I didn't sit necessarily hear him asking for a new thing, which mm. is kind of, sometimes I've heard this passage preached like God, Moses was bold and said, show me your glory. And then God did it. And he never did that before. I was like, no, I think that's Moses asking for a restoration of like hmm. what he 
is fearful he might lose. I would probably disagree with you. Yeah. I, I, oh, I, yeah. I mean, think about just because like of how much God goes through to get him into this place, the description of God passing by and covering the cleft of the rock with his hand and showing him the backside. This is all extremely rare language. It's never again repeated in the Bible. Yeah, that, we don't um, have evidence that happened the no, first time he was no, on no, Sinai. No. And, then it, this, and then accompanying it is the longest self-description of God by God in the Bible. He says his full name, if you will, to Moses. And then when the New Testament picks this up in 2 Corinthians 3 and 4, it's treated like a very distinct event. And so I don't think this is a reiteration or a restoration of something old. I think this is a a, 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 a new thing, a revelation of something new, which makes grace abound all the more that it's not like, oh so God, why, take me back to what was first. This is like, even in the midst of sin, give me more, which is like, that's the gospel. So why here? Why would Moses make this request now? Yeah. I mean, I because, think like, yeah. that's not the time I would make the request. Right. Right? It's like, yeah. it's like after we've done all the good stuff, I would be like, we obey the commandments. The temple's built. Everything, like the, the tabernacle, we built the uh, ephod. Bezalel is all, he's done his stuff. Like, why now? Yeah. After corporate failure. Right. I think I think it's probably because he needed a sign uh, that God was going to be faithful, that God was going to accompany them. If he was really going to pick up the tent pegs and head to Canaan, like he wanted to know that God was going to be with him. And so accompanying this this new call to leave Sinai and like, he's like, I promise the angel of the Lord's going to be with you. I think Moses needed and wanted and craved this new presence of God, like to ratify what was happening. Um, which when we look at like the gospel, it's, it's exactly what happens. Like, like whenever, whenever God makes these new crazy promises to us that he's going to wash us clean and bring us into his presence, into a final and new Canaan, it's accompanied with, his presence showing up and yeah. like in a new and crazy way in the incarnation of Jesus. And what would what would it say if God came after they only after they obeyed? Right. Like the fact that God shows up immediately after the yes. main sin of the book, the sin, the sin of Exodus, the sin of Exodus. That's when the most personal revelation of God shows up. Right. That tells us something really remarkable about the God. Yes. That we're worshiping. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, it's exactly right. And it, and it tells us. And, like, and the kind of people that God responds to. Right. Yeah. Right. Sinners. <laughs> yeah, sinners. Like yeah. people who have failed their right. responsibilities. Yeah, it's really amazing. And like, and God tells us that. Like, so, so um, basically, so God, God and Moses make this agreement. Like, they go into like this long detail about how this is going to be set up. So Moses says, show me your glory. And then God says, okay, I will, but you can't see my face because you cannot see me and live. Um, and, and so he, he says, go up onto the mountain and there's a little cleft there, which is like a rock with a tiny split in it. I like to think of it like a, like a door, you know, like whenever you, you have a door shut and the lights on in the bedroom and you can kind of see like a little bit of light yeah, yeah, through yeah, it. Yeah. Like it's kind of like that, right, right, you right. know? And, and so um, you, you'll do that. And, but with you take two new tablets of stone. Right. And uh, just like you had before, because if you remember, Moses came off the mountain after hearing the, the, the law of them. God and smashed the tablets. Yeah. And um, one thing I missed for a long time was the very first thing that Moses asked for in his intercession. Or I guess not the first thing, but he says, now, therefore, uh, in verse 13 of chapter 33, he says, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways in order that I might, found, I, I might find favor in your sight. So he's asking 
uh, hey, God, can I have those laws back? <laughs> like, show me your ways, your commandments, your statutes. Like, show me your ways again. And so God answers that prayer too. He's like, great, bring two f- fresh tablets of stone up and I'll write on them again <laughs> with my hand. So you're not saying that when glory is the same thing as God's commands and laws. It's something An- additional yes. to the commands and laws. So why don't, like, define glory? Oh, yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> like, I mean, what, what, so, is, what does he mean yeah, when he's asking for I this? I think he's asking... Because God's about to give his name. Right. So we assume his name is glorious, like has the, the quality of the being... The quality of being glorious. But what is glory? Because like, what is Moses because asking for? Moses asked for, asked to see God's glory, and God says, yes, I will pass, I'll make all my goodness pass before you, which I think is a really good definition of glory. Like, what, what is God's glory? It's all his goodness. It's like just the beauty and spectacle of everything good about him on visible display. Yeah. And then he adds to it and he says, and I will proclaim my name Yahweh to you. And so I, 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 don't, I think they're separate things, but I think the, the name of God and the law of God both have characteristics of glory, but neither of them are the glory of God. The glory of God is his presence, which is what everyone's so bent out of shape that they're not going to get anymore. Right. Right. And so what Moses asked for. He's asking, he's like, show me your glory. Show me all of your goodness. Right. Show me everything that's good about you. Yep. Remind me of that thing. And I would, I would venture that Moses didn't even know what he was asking for whenever he asked to see God's glory. Because as soon as it happens, so Moses goes up in the cleft of the rock and God passes by his glory. He passes his glory by Moses and he proclaims his name. And as soon as Moses catches a glimpse, he hits the deck. And Moses, Moses is there for like a split second looking at God and he hits the deck. I don't think he knew what he was even asking for. Yeah. So I think, I think God's definition is probably a little bit more helpful than Moses's request. And why do you think God responds to Moses by saying like, I'll show you my glory and I will proclaim my name to you. Like what mm-hmm. is like, yes, yes. W- like what's powerful about the God proclaiming his own name? Right. Like, yeah. Why is that something that Moses would want? Well, I, I think it's something that God knew needed to accompany the visible manifestation of his glory. So because um, revelation you know, I think is two things in one in order to be complete, that it can't just be a spectacle that is beautiful. It has to be accompanied with truth. And so God not only puts on this insane display of his goodness, of his splendor, of his brilliance, whenever he passes Moses by in all his shining glory, he also says truth to him about who he is. And so truth that doesn't have glory behind it can just go to the head, right? But glory that doesn't have truth to it can just go to the emotions. You need both in order to have right. a holistic revelation of who God is. He is so splendorous that we want to behold him, but we want to behold him because of who he is in truth. Right. And so they have to go together. It reminds me of like what Jesus does in all of his miracles. Like they're miracles yes. that like he raises people from the dead. But that's actually about what he will do. Yes. It's like he provides fish, but he actually provides food for all, like all of us as right. we eat and drink from him and right. like believe in he him. He turns water into wine, but that points to his never ending atonement of his blood that he provides right. at the wedding feast. Yeah. yeah totally. Okay, so Moses is in the cleft of the rock. God's about to pass by and show him his glory and proclaim to him his name. So, Seth, what is God's name? Uh, Verse 6 of 34. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, 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 a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness 
keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children and the, to the third and fourth generation. And Mosley quickly <laughs> bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. There we go. That's so the name uh, of next God. time you're praying and you're, you're wanting to say, like, all right, so thank you, Father, for this and that. Just replace Father with this full name of God, and then you'll <laughs> actually have it right. So instead of saying, God, we pray, just say, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and great. No, I'm just kidding. So, but this is, when God says, I'm going to proclaim my name to you, this is him. This is God saying, like, this is who I am. And, and what we have to remember is that when God originally proclaimed his name to Moses back in chapter 3, right, whenever, whenever Moses asked for God's name, um, he said, my name is I am. And we talked about in, in the episode on on the burning bush about how I am was about covenant keeping. It was about I am the God who is with you. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the God who's going to bring you into the land. And so I am is about I am with you to save you. Um, and so here he sa- he's saying the same thing. He's, he's talking about covenant keeping. So like the, God's name, Yahweh, is a covenant name. It's a name that is, I am keeping my covenant. And then even in the name, uh, steadfast love is this Hebrew word chesed, which steadfast love is kind of the the, the word that the ESV uses to, to translate it, but it's covenant, covenant love. love. Covenant, covenant love. love. Yeah. I was, uh, well, one thing that we should notice about this too is like, this is reversed from the first time it's used. We mentioned this at the top, the top of the show where we yep. said like, when this is explained before or in the Ten Commandments. Right. We're told that uh, he visits the iniquity of the fathers, uh, and then we're told then, about his yeah. steadfast right. love. So I think it's interesting now that after sin is when God like front loads His grace and mercy towards His people. But I also think like in the narrative, it's doing something as well, because they're saying, "Don't make idols," because what happened to the idolatrous nation of Egypt? I judged them. Right. I visited in their iniquity upon oh, them. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Like I like. The blood that the 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 Pharaoh spilled in the river. Right. I visited that on them by turning the river into blood. Right. Now that you have sinned, mm. I am showing you steadfast love and mercy. But that same judgment that happened to Israel uh, to Egypt yep. may also happen to you if you break the covenant. Right. So I think he's like exp- like he's reversing it, showing mercy. Yeah. But he's also like narratively, I think something's happening here as well. He's like, this is That's this cool. is where you're at. Yeah. Right now. He's yeah. Like, I think also like something to point out here is like how impossible this self-description of God by God um, makes it to put God into a box. Like he is neither this all-consuming judgmental force that is harsh and vindictive, neither is he this all-loving, always-forgiving, never, never, ever, ever would he punish someone kind of fluff God. He's like, I am this like insanely gracious, faithful, merciful, slow to anger God, but who will by no means clear yeah. the guilty, and I will hold generations accountable. Like, who is this God? Like, <laughs> it, there's this great quote by Treebeard. Treebeard from Lord the Lord of the, of the Rings the for, of the for, Ring. the, for the unfamiliar listener. And if you don't know about Lord of the Rings, Treebeard is an ant. He's not a, an ant. An ant. And an he ant. he's a tree who lives for thousands yeah, of years. So long. And so the entish language doesn't like operate like normal human language. It takes a days. A very long time <laughs> to say anything. <laughs> it's like this whole idea is like their names are really long. 
and like you can never really know like like humans cannot comprehend the span of life included in an ant. Right. And so when the hobbits ask Treebeard his name, he's <laughs> he says I'm I'm not going to tell you. And he says this, for one thing, it would take a long while. My name is growing all the time and I've lived a very long long time. So my name is like a story. Real names tell you the story of the things they belong to. Oh, that was such a great picture mm. of what's happening in Exodus. Like we're given the story of God's name back in Genesis three yep. and four, and it's still unfolding Exodus for the people. Uh, Exodus three yep. and four, and it's still unfolding as He gives the Ten Commandments, as they sin, and then as He gives it again mm-hmm. at the Covenant Confirmation. Like His name, I'm still Yahweh, Yahweh. I'm still Yahweh, Yahweh. But my name is growing mm. in your experience of it, and you really can't understand and comprehend like the span and scope of right. who I am. You had no idea that when I said I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that I would be the I am of this idolatrous people who would build a golden calf at the foot of my mountain. Right. Yeah. And I think that like that idea that like God can't do both things is really like it's he we think he can't do both things because we're human. Yeah. And humans can't do both things. And by both things you mean be gracious and and, and ju- judging. And, and judging. Yeah. But I think I think the character of Treebeard should help us imaginatively. Like, yeah. you understand why a character who spent thousands of years like living and speaks a language that takes a long time mm-hmm. can't explain his name to you by virtue of the span of your life. Right. And how much more different oh are we goodness. than God than a hobbit is to an end? That's <laughs> maybe a terrible analogy. I like it. But the idea is like, can we really expect to sum up God mm. in our language? Right. And I think the answer is no, no, which is why we have a really enigmatic name, I am. I am. Yeah. Right. Anyway. Oh, no, it's really helpful. I really like that. Um, so what's going on here with this? Um, I, I, won't, I won't clear the guilty. I will visit the iniquity of the fathers to your children and your children's children. Like, does Man. this does this mean I'm going to be held responsible for my grandpa's sins? Yeah, that's kind of that's that's my gut level reaction to it. Is like, oh wait, I'm not responsible for great grandpa, right? Like what he did wrong. So and even even later in the Torah, we're going to be told by God that he only holds individuals accountable right. for their individual sin. He's not going to make the son responsible for the father stealing a goat. Yeah, so I've heard some people say something like, well, this is just kind of like generational things. So like if your father's an alcoholic, oh, you're going to experience... Generational the, sin. Like generational sin or right. generational impact of a particular sin. If your grandpa your grandfather was an alcoholic... It's going to have an effect on you. As a son, it's going to have an effect on you. And it's going to change the way you relate to your son. Right. Who's going to change the way to your son, even if it's like pendulum swinging from being super gracious and allowing everything to happen or being really, really strict or, you know, like yep. that's going to affect long term. So I've heard that before. Sure. I'm not sure that... But that kind of takes... It feels like it takes God out of the equation. Yeah. And so there's probably an element of that. Like yeah. the God constructs the world so that justice and righteousness are done. Like that's why the book of Proverbs can be written. Yes. So like I think that's true as far as it goes. But like there is a sense that God is actively yes. judging. There's a passive element to sin's danger. Right. Um, that like you fall into the, the trap you set for yourself, as the Proverbs often say. Right. But there is an active element of, yeah. of sin's danger. And I think what's happening here might be happening here is like when we say like god can't hold me responsible for my great great grandpa did i think we miss the fact that god is making a covenant with a community right a whole corporate body a nation with kings that will enact laws yep so if a bad king makes one bad law 
or God judges that king for his bad law, that's going to affect thousands of people. Mm-hmm. And it's going to bring punishment on thousands of people based on the representatives who are sinning. Does that make sense? Did yeah, I say yeah, that yeah. Clearly? yeah. There's this. There, God is making a covenant, a promise with a whole group of people. So whenever He says, "I'm going to give you my law," all of Israel says, "Everything the Lord has spoken, we will do." And then later in Deuteronomy, we'll see that they agree to all the blessings and all the curses that God says they'll bring on if they break. The and they law. even and they even say like, and we agree to this even to the third and fourth generation of our children. They do. They own this whole idea. So they're they're recognizing that God is making a covenant with an entire nation and that the sins of the few can impact the lives of all of them. Right. And that those sins might last for generations. And yes. I think that the clearest example would be exile. Yeah. At, the, at the end of the storyline of right. the, old, the history of the Old Testament, like generations of Israelites are suffering in exile because of the sins of the few, and they agreed to it. Mm-hmm. They agreed to it knowingly. They agreed to it. Okay, so Moses hears the name of God, this long tree beardist name, and uh, and then he uh, repeats the Ten Commandments to him, basically, kind of in a longer form as well, writes those down on the tablets, and then Moses comes off the mountain, and something's a little bit different about him. His face is radiating. It is shining bright with this glory of God. Like what he saw on the mountain through the cleft of the rock is now embedded on his face. Like he is mirroring the glory that he saw. And everyone's terrified. And everyone freaks out. Like Which they are terrified. Oh, oh my gosh. Could you imagine? They just did it on the mountain. Like they did it before when God showed up with fire oh, yeah. and thunder. And I mean, it makes sense to be scared right. just naturally. Yeah. But like they're freaking out. <laughs> but then like when it's on Moses, they're like, oh, this is really scary. And so like they devised this plan where they're they, they're like, hey, Moses, um, could you just wear this like mask, a veil? Could you put this veil over your face when you're around us? And so Moses, he did. He wore this veil over his face um, whenever he was around everybody else, and except whenever he went into the tent of meeting. Whenever he went back into the tent of meeting with he God, took he would took it off. And, and it's like symbolic it of that face to face. That's exactly type of right. Thing. Yep, that's exactly right. And so um, this is Exodus thirty three and thirty four. Um, and and there's so much here that we want to try to um, unpack um, with how it relates to Jesus, especially because we have a we have we get we Paul. We have a guest speaker on today, and it's the <laughs> Apostle Paul who just straight up in, does the Spoken Gospel podcast for to us. This for us. And I mean, in, so just like rewind, yeah. pull back from this podcast for a second. Like this text is the reason, reason why, why we, we read it, scriptures yes. this way. Yes. It's So like this is a great time to talk about. But Paul gives us his infallible interpretation Jesus turn for yes. what happens yes. in these two t- these two verses, right. particularly that, that last So not chunk. only should you be hearing like, okay, yeah, I see how to see Jesus in Exodus 33 and 34 now. What you could also be seeing here is like, here is biblical proof that the the, the Jesus turns we take and like seeing Christ in all of scripture, uh, here's our proof for it. Like this is why we, we're allowed to do this and why we're commanded to do it. Yeah. Okay. So we're in Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians. And Paul is talking about how we are ministers. Like we all, all Christians are the ones that are responsible for the new covenant. Yep. We are ministers of a new covenant, like giving out and responding and sharing the benefits and the goodness of the new covenant. And we can have confidence that we are 
in this new covenant, sharing this new covenant uh, be, through Jesus because it's not about us, he says in verse 4. This is the reason we have, that not that we are sufficient in ourselves, it's not about us to claim as anything coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of this new covenant, not by the letter uh, of the law, but by the Spirit. For the letter kills and the Spirit gives life. Mm-hmm. These are like code words for Paul, and essentially right. is what he's saying. It's like the ministry of the law, like what happened through the law, ultimately brought death to Israel. That doesn't mean the law was bad. Nope. The God accomplished his purposes yep. through it. It was gracious. It was gracious. It was kind. It was by faith alone. There was glory in it. There was glory in it. Yep. It was shown in the face of Moses. But what's happening in the spirit is so much better. It's like death. Comparatively. Comparatively yes. to life that's coming. Right. And the reason is, is because he goes on to say that the that the, the law was written on tablets of stone outside of us. And it said, look at this, do this. But he says the, 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 the spirit comes in and he writes the law on tablets of flesh on your hearts. And it's 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 that the law has been done for you, and it, that all of its blessings have been embedded on your heart through the spirit of Jesus now dwelling in you. That's exactly right. And then, so verse 7 comes back in and said, Now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone mm-hmm. came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' <laughs> face because of its glory, which was brought to an, which was being brought to an end. Right, which people talk about that meaning like the, the glory that was on Moses' face faded over time. Right, it was over being time. brought to and an end. Then that and the whole of... covenant was being brought to an end because it was going to be replaced by a greater covenant. And no other mediator had a shining face. Nope. Like, he, like Moses was the only person that that happened to. So right. the, this kind of way of God revealing himself is ending. The sh- shining faces end yep. with Moses. Right. Um, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more, more glory? glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, like that eventually brought death through the law, right. the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Right. Which, like, stop for a second and just think about that picture that we just saw in Exodus of God passing by the cleft of the rock with so much glory that Moses could not look at God's face and live. And then it was so overwhelming that it, it was indelibly embedded on his face. Like, we're like, oh, I'm so jealous of Moses. That would have been so awesome. He's like, no, 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 no. The gospel has more glory than that. What happened in Moses was a ministry of condemnation because it brought death. But what's happening in Jesus is called a ministry of righteousness because we are being given, given it. God's glory in us. Right. We are being made righteous. Right. The law is being written on our hearts, not right. outside of us, but inside of us. Yes. And that righteousness is better than our sh- faces shining. Yes. That's what he's saying. Indeed, in this case, what was wo- uh, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all. Because of the glory that surpasses yeah, it. Yeah, it's not that it had no glory at all. It's by comparison, this glory so outshines the other glory, right? Verse 11. Yeah, if what was being brought to an end came with glory, how much more will what is permanent mm, have glory? Yeah, so the, what, what, what faded or died out or couldn't be kept in the old covenant is now completely permanent when the spirit that comes in us and writes the righteousness that Christ earned for us through the law in our hearts, right? Right. That, that, is, that is sealed up in us. Permanent. And it's permanent. It's not it's going permanent. anywhere. Yeah, like I the, love that. Uh, end of come thou found, come thou found the the the, the take the my hand. heart, Lord. Here's take my heart, seal, Lord, it seal it for yeah. thy courts yeah. above. And since we have such a hope, we are very bold. 
but not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. Right. So explain that one a little bit. That one feels a little more opaque. Oh, sure. So, so yeah, it's just that that Moses would hide the glory of God, and so like um, I think the I think Paul here kind of condemns Moses a little bit for this. That um, the people came and they were terrified of the glory of God shining in the face of Moses, and they said, "Hey, will you put this veil over over your face?" And Moses complied. Moses should not have complied with that request. He should have been bold and said, no, here is the glory of God shining in my face. But he, he says Moses was not bold. He instead mm-hmm. agreed to hide the glory of God. But we aren't, we aren't like that. Like you said when we started this text, it's that we are ministers of reconciliation, that we take the glory of God out into the world. We are bold about it because we have a better glory that we want to show the world. And this was because their minds were hardened. Right. And not only the Israelites, but probably Moses's too. Yeah, to a certain extent. To a certain extent. And to this day. So there's this hardening that does not allow people to see the glory glory of of God, God. even in the ministry of condemnation. Right. And then he says, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Right. The only way that we can look at God's glory and love it is through Jesus Christ. Right. So what we need to see here is Paul's using a metaphor here. So he's saying that like there was there was this glory of God and Moses covered it up with a veil. He says now whenever you go back into the Old Testament and you read it, people can't see God's glory in it because there's still a veil over it. And that veil is not a physical piece of fabric. That veil is the hardness of your own mind, that you cannot see the glory of God when you read the Old Testament unless something happens. And what is that thing? Well, you, you just read it. It's through, through Christ. It's taken away. Right. Only whenever... The veil is taken right. off, the hearts are changed, the law, like righteousness dwells in you. That's the only way that you can see the glory of God in the Old Testament. Right. And he says, again, a little bit more. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Yeah, and that is the same exact language. So uh, the Greek matches the, the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament. In um, Exodus 34, at the, at the end, when Moses goes into the tent of meeting and takes off his veil, it says, Moses turned to the Lord and took off his veil. You are now in the presence, in the presence of, God, of God, just like Moses was. Because Christ dwells in you what, through the what, Spirit. What the people wish they could have done right. but were too scared to do is what you actually have by virtue of Jesus Christ. Yes. So cool. Now the Lord is the Spirit. Right. Yahweh is, is the Spirit. And where the Spirit is. <laughs> Of the Lord is where the spirit of Yahweh is, there is freedom and right. freedom to do what specifically? Yes. So freedom to behold the glory of God. Like, so Moses, he had to hide behind the cleft of the rock, right? The Israelites had to hide the glory of Moses behind a veil. There was all this hiding. There's no freedom. Like Moses, whenever he went into the tent of meeting, he could no longer speak with God face to face. There was all this lack of freedom, right? And, right. and so Moses had to hide behind the cleft of the rock. But now there's freedom for us who have Christ to actually like full face behold the glory of God because Christ is our rock that behind which we hide. Right. And what's cool about it is Christ is, is our safety, right? So he takes the, the, the punishment that we deserved um, as, the, as the rock kind of bore the, the glory of God, but he's also the cleft through which we can see the glory of God because as he was opened for us, it's through his, his wounds and his sacrifice that we can actually look through and see 
basically how God unravels this mystery of how he is both gracious and forgiving and by no means clearing the guilty. It's that in, in Christ, the like we, we have it we have both. Right. Yeah. And he expl- and he says that the the freedom is in verse eighteen, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord. Right. He defines the freedom for us. Yep. We get what Moses got, but even better. But even better. We behold him face the glory of the Lord face to face. And when we do Oh man, this is the best part. We are being transformed into the same image. I'm assuming he's meaning the same age of Jesus. Of Jesus. Of Jesus. Yes. Being, we look more and more like Jesus from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Spirit, from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Right. So just in the degree, so Moses looked at the glory of God and his face shone, right? It mimicked the glory that he right. saw, but it was just outward. It was only his face. Here, His though, image was transformed. His image was transformed, but only in part, Right. Now, what we get in Christ is that as we behold Jesus in all of Scripture, he's talking about reading here. He's also talking about the inward ministry of the Holy Spirit. He's talking about both things. Um, As this happens, as we behold the glory of God, as as you guys do what we're trying to do here in this podcast by showing you Jesus in all of Scripture, as we look at him, behold him, treasure him, what happens is that we are changed into the same image as Jesus from one degree of glory which is what Moses saw to another so like like the glory that you're made into today through sanctification beholding Jesus more and more surpasses that glory and like yeah. and then eventually it's consummated as 1 John 3 2 will tell us that when Jesus returns and we behold him full-faced we will become like him because yeah. we'll see him as he is so there is a link sorry there's a link between beholding and becoming that yes. what we behold we become and remember what glory means it's like the fullness of God's beauty his goodness. and his goodness yeah. and his perfections. Like slowly over time, you are becoming perfect. Ugh. You're becoming <laughs> so good. good. Yeah. You're becoming wise. Right. You're becoming loving. Yeah. Like, this is what's happening And I love you. that the, 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 the way we go about becoming perfect, becoming in the image of Jesus, he doesn't say, so just you know, bootstrap yourself, you know, like rein in your desires, you know, fix yourself up. He says, no, no, no. Here's how you become more like Jesus. Look at him. Look at him. Look at him. Like just go well, up on the mountain and Moses look at him. Did Moses do something else? No. Moses looked at the glory of the Lord and was transformed one degree. Yeah. His face shone. Yep. By looking at Jesus, we are continued to transform, be transformed. Yep. Oh, it's so cool. Okay, so now we, we turn, it, it, it just continues, but we're therefore, in chapter four now, therefore. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Mm. So I think we is referring to Paul and, right, and his fellow ministers. And his fellow ministers and, but why would they lose heart? Well, yeah, man, I don't know. Why would they lose heart? Um, I, th- I think they would lose heart because it's probably, it might be expected of them to lose heart as they're preaching Jesus from the Old Testament to Jews. And yeah, to it's a people. hard ministry. And that it's not, maybe not as successful. Maybe they're prone to discouragement. Maybe they're, yeah. they they wonder if it's working. Right. But Paul's saying, we don't lose heart in this ministry. And right. then he gives us a reason. But we have, because, but, I don't know the Greek word there, but, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. Right. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. By the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. 
And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. Right. So what's happening? There's a lot going on there. And so basically what he's saying is like, like yeah, they're going in and he's preaching the gospel, the the crucified Messiah Jesus from, out, from the, the Old, Old Testament, Testament to Jews who are like, who killed him. And right. they're like, this is not an easy ministry to do. But he's like, look, we are not tampering with God's word. We're not using disgraceful or underhanded ways. We're not we're not trying to be manipulative or anything like that. We are coming to you with open truth. And we're saying that the only way to understand the Old Testament is to see Jesus in all of it. And that whenever you don't, you are actually reading it with a veil over it. And, he, and so he says, so I commend myself and our interpretation of the text to you and everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Test it. Like, go see, like, go read it for yourself. And if you don't see Jesus's glory in it, like, prove me wrong. Right. Like, that's what this is about. But even if you do go and our gospel, the good news, is veiled in the Old Testament, uh, it's veiled to those who are perishing. It, it, he, it pro- if you do not see Jesus in the Old yeah, Testament. Yeah, this is getting harsh. But It proves you do not belong to God's new covenant. Right. And then he goes on explaining what that means. Right, and how this functions. He says... Yeah. In their case, in the people who don't, who don't see, see the gospel, yep. that don't see Jesus in the story of Exodus, right? Yep. He says, um, "The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers, un- unbelievers, to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God." Right. Right. So, so the God of this world, right? So, like the accuser, Satan, he's he's blinded our minds to see from seeing God's glory. He is the one who has stretched the veil over the Old Testament under the authority of God, and only through Christ then we'll see. Right? Is it taken away? Yes. Yeah. And so, the gospel of the glory of God, who is the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, we should have in our minds, like, yep, like Moses, what, yeah. Moses, like. It's reaching a climax at this it point is, because yes. we're about. So Moses had a shining face, images being changed, like glory of God, glory of Christ. Now yeah, the light, so something's yeah. happening, and says, and so, so what we proclaim is not ourselves. Right, we're, we're not that clever. Yep. We're not that smart. What right. we're proclaiming to you is Jesus Christ as Lord, as God, as Yahweh, as Yahweh, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus's sake. We're trying to serve you. We want to give you the good news. Yep. We want to give you God's presence right. and goodness. We want you to experience that because the God who said, "Light, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God shining in the face of Jesus Christ. Right. So what, is it, what does it mean to know God? The knowledge of God. What is what does it mean to know God? What does it mean to stand face to face with God right. in his tabernacle yep. intimately like a friend? Yep. It's to have the light of Christ in your heart, which means to believe that Jesus is who he said he was. It's that simple. It's that Jesus is God, that he died for our sins. He took the the the, the punishment for our stiff necks as he as took Jesus the condemnation and yep. replaced it with righteousness. Yep. Yeah. And the spirit has written that on your heart. So like like that that that's what Genesis or Exodus uh, 33 and 34 is all about which is so crazy that it's Moses's shining face is oh. about Jesus's shining face yeah. shining into an unbelieving and dark world and convincing people that are perishing that they don't have to yeah that oh, they can that's so good and so like i i would i would give one little last plea here at the end to just say like this is why we do what we do right here is like we want to show Jesus in all of scripture because we believe that as you behold him in all of scripture, as that veil is removed, not only will you love your Bible more and like, will it be way more fun to read, but actually like 
this is how you are supposed to read your Bible. And this is how you will be changed when you read your Bible, is that when you behold the face of Jesus Christ in his gospel shining throughout every corner of scripture, then you will become like him from one degree of glory to another. Yeah. And this is not because we're super impressive people. No. Or really, really smart people. Right. Paul says it in the next verse, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. Right. Like, we are like kind of cheap pottery. <laughs> we're like, we're not that impressive. Why? So that we can show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way. And like mm. I think we would both say that we are broken people. Yep. We're not super impressive. We come to here into this podcast studio overwhelmed, depressed, frustrated, <laughs> busy. Yep. Like there have been days I've been sitting here and it's been a struggle to get two words out. But that's because the power doesn't belong to us. It that's belongs right. to God, Jesus Christ being like his face shining into your hearts. Yeah. And that's where our hope rests. That's so true. And like, yeah. And so it's why it's why it's so important not to make the centerpiece of your reading of scripture yourself. Because if you do, you're putting you're 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 like you're trying to flip the equation of of the the glory going into the the the, the broken pot. You're trying to make the broken pot the centerpiece of the story. Whenever we try to moralize scripture or or put ourselves into the story, uh, we we are trying to put a broken pot into the yeah. the middle instead of the glory. Paul talks about like not losing heart. Yeah. I think this is where we can talk about how quickly we are to lose heart yeah. as well. We see the slowness of our own sanctification, right? The slowness of us like changing to be more like Jesus. The fact that we're still struggling with the same sin over mm-hmm. and over and over again. Paul says, "Don't lose heart. You are broken, yep. but that's so that Christ can be shown through you. Mm. You have this ministry of reconciliation where you're supposed to communicate this great truth of the gospel, but if you feel totally inadequate, God <laughs> is in you. Yeah. And because you're broken, that's why your gospel will be powerful. That's good. Well, man, thank, thank you guys so much for joining us on this longer episode. Uh, it was so important, though. We would just encourage you to uh, continue to uh, open your Bible, cleft the Bible open. <laughs> And see the glory of God in it, in the face of Jesus Christ. I've always thought of cleft like cleaver. Oh, yes. And so I've always just imagined like a meat cleaver yep. hitting a, a rock. rock. And then that split <laughs> when you take the knife out, that's the cleft. Oh, my goodness. That's, that's my Well, point. there you go. We'll leave you with that. No, no, we'll leave you. We'll leave you with that admonition to just um, to to keep pressing in, keep seeing Jesus in the in the Bible, and let that vision change you from one degree of glory to the next. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit organization dedicated to creating gospel-centered media that speaks the gospel out of every corner of Scripture in every corner of the world. To learn more about the ministry of Spoken Gospel and view more of our resources, visit SpokenGospel.com.